0: And would you join me as we bow our heads and just ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance in our prayer? Lord, we are so excited about the things you're doing all around the world. We are excited about, in particular, in La Mirada area. God, you have a couple of churches coming together in prayer for this land. You're raising up leaders. You're bringing up a whole generation. And statistics show, Lord, that the world Is turning away from you, but God, we also see that that doesn't mean you're being defeated, that you have something else up your sleeve, and we're excited to see that unfolding. We thank you for just giving us your word. And we were not in exile, and we did not lack having your scriptures, but Lord, we're so excited that today your word is not looked upon, it's not sought after, and we take it for granted but all of us have access to it, so we give you thanks. And we just ask that we would have this hunger to seek you through your word, that we would know you deeper and know how to live, know how to think, and to be able to pursue you, God, in a way that you have established through your scriptures. And so as the people of Israel stood up and listened to this word read, may our hearts rise up as we listen to you and your word. And God, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, may something stick, may something convict, and make our church continue to feed and be nourished by every word that you give to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just because you build something, um, it doesn't mean in and of itself that it is special. You know, rebuilding this wall, Nehemiah. Uh, I have a true story of a wall that was built uh, in, you know, recent times. There was a youth group, true story, that wanted to go to Mexico to do something for great for the Lord. And they said, we're going to go there and build a, a wall for God. And so the people of Mexico said, uh, okay. And the youth group spent the whole week working hard, sweating, cementing, and they built a big wall. The problem was two things. <laughs> It was just a wall. There was nothing else. And they wanted to go back to their church and say, we built a wall for God. But the second problem was worse. They built it on the only field that the village people played soccer on. <laughs> and so there are things that you can say, I'm doing this for God, but you're actually far, far from his will. And there are, there are things where it looks like it's just a wall. And it is this incredible representation and symbolism that God is coming to restore the world. And that's the case in Nehemiah. It was more than a wall. It was more than just rubble on the ground. There was something deeper when God sent Israel back to build the altar, to build a temple, to build up the city, and then finally to build up this wall. There's something God is doing, and I want to get to that at the very end. And I want to sandwich today's message in that. But two parts, because this is what's going on, I wanted to separate this into two. The first part is rebuilding this wall. Isn't it true, whenever you do something that's worthwhile, you will face challenges and obstacles? How many of us experience that parenting, getting a job, going after high school, college, or work... Um, getting married, everything was just so easy. It was just like you imagined. You know, how many of you thought going to ministry, helping church was going to be, hey, this is free, this is good? Even doing sports for your kids. And so, whenever we do something in particular out of obedience to God, we're going to always face opposition. And I want to focus this first part on this idea that. I want to encourage us, when you feel opposition in your life, when you're trying to pursue and please God, don't be discouraged, but be encouraged with these three things. Let me just share with you. Nehemiah was trying to build this wall, and he was facing, in particular, three uh, cases of opposition. And I feel like this is so relevant to us, so I wanted to share this in the first part. The first is he's building the wall, and Nehemiah chapter 4, it says this. So he went back. Sent by the king, given mandate to go build the wall, and then this is what happens. The locals didn't like it. When Sanballat, he's one of the opposers, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heap of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. I wonder if you heard that in your life. What, are, what is he trying to do? He's, he's a loser. He can't do anything. He can't finish anything in his life. You know what? He's going to be a failure. You know, I think the problem with our society right now is we hear this online, we hear it through Facebook, we hear it at Thanksgiving dinners, we hear it at church. We get, we get these discouragements that you cannot do it. And I think one of the problems of the society is nothing huge, it's this idea that we believe these lies. And so Nehemiah is being criticized, you're Jews, you can't do anything. This is a feeble cause so they go on verse 11 our enemy said before they know it or see us we will be right there among them and kill them and put an end to the work that's a bad day <laughs> when somebody says when you're not looking oh yeah i'm gonna kill you and this work will stop that's a pretty bad day i'm not sure if you've got that kind of threats So they're trying to do something for the Lord. They feel called by God. You're trying to do things for the Lord. You're trying to live with integrity, align your life to God, and we will get blasted. And sometimes, can we be honest? Sometimes this discouragement doesn't come from anyone else. We say it to ourselves sometimes. And so so we get into this discouragement phase when we're trying to pursue God. And so how does Nehemiah respond? And he says this, verse 9. But... We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this thread. Verse 14, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sisters, and your daughters, your wives, and your home. Two things. Number one, when we feel you are being attacked, when you feel you're being discouraged, when you are reminded you're a failure, you know what we turn to? Facebook. Facebook. And you tell Facebook, I'm being attacked. Can somebody like me? If I get 100 likes, I'll have a good day. No. By the way, I say that because it's true. People do that. (laughs) No, we don't turn to Facebook. Who do you turn to? The bottle. Yeah, you turn to something that you can hang to. No. And so this is what the world is telling us. You know what? This is your escape. And this is what God is telling us. I am God. I am truth. Turn to me. Give me all your pain. Give me all your hurts. And turn your heart and pray. The first thing they did was, God, you're God. We're your people. And we turn and remember who you are. So as they turn to pray to God, this is what Nehemiah says. Remember the Lord. And I love what he says next. Why? Why remember the Lord when you're being discouraged? Why remember the Lord when people say you will amount to nothing? And listen to what the next part says. It's not because because he will make you happy. It's not he will give you money. It says none of that. It says, remember the Lord. Why? Who is great and awesome. Isn't that great? Why turn to God? Because he is great and awesome. You know the Hebrew definition of great, it says this. He's immense, he's voluminous, and he's intense. Wow. You see, the problem with Facebook and things of this world None of them are big, immense, awesome, and great. But he is. So remember the Lord when you're discouraged because God, by nature, he's great. And then the second part is, it says he's awesome, which means in Hebrew, his better word is he's terrible. He's terrifying. He is not a wimp. You know, the problem I have with Jesus, uh, there was a video on YouTube that someone actually made a joke about this because we believe Jesus is such a wimp He's like this naturally blonde hair, you know, hair nicely conditioned, pruned, nice mustache, you know, wearing nice robe. And we're like, he doesn't look tough, you know, and guys are like, he looks kind of, kind of feminine or weird. But so we have this image of Jesus that he's like this nice guy and he's a wimp. And if you believe that, I want you to read Revelation about what Jesus, they say about Jesus. And Jesus is this terrifying and awesome God. Not, he's not trying to kill us. He's just, by nature, he's the one who created this universe. He is not a mere nice man. So I love C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, Lucy asks um, one, of the, one of the hosts about Aslan, you know, the lion who represents Christ. You know, is he safe? And the Miss Beaver goes, oh, dearie, no. He is not safe at all but he is good, and that's our God. He is not safe, and he is not just a wimp. He is terrifying, but hallelujah, he is good. So when we're discouraged, what do we do? We remember, we pray, and we say, who do I serve? What am I for? Am I living my life, or what kind of God is this? And so somebody coined this term. A lot of the church today, I struggle with this. I'm going to confess, we struggle as practical atheists. You know what practical atheists are? These are defined by this pastor. Practical atheists are Christian atheists. You're like, what is that? That doesn't even make sense. But listen to this. Christian atheist is defined as someone who believes in God, but lives as if he doesn't exist. So we believe in God, but when the world discourages us and comes down upon us, we act as if there is no God to save us or that opposes us or vindicates us. I confess, I struggle with this sometimes. Do you? You sing about God, but you go out these doors, you're alone, and you get discouraged. You get lies, and you believe it because you feel like God is small or he doesn't exist, and you're all alone. I want to tell you today, God is with you by your side. That God is awesome. He's terrible. He's terrible. But he's good. So they pray, and then really quickly, do you notice, after they prayed, what do they do? They're going to kill you. So Nehemiah goes, God, you will save us. Amen. Let's keep working. Do you see what Nehemiah did? He posted guards with a sword and a shovel in the other hand. I love that. There's some practicality. You know, when the church is struggling, let's say church is fighting each other, what's the first thing we should do? Pray. What's the second thing you should do? Do something about it. Have coffee and start having a talk session and start asking for forgiveness or do something like that. There was a great quote uh, by Kipling, Rudyard Kipling. He says this, gardens are not made by singing, oh, how beautiful, and sitting in the shade. I love that. You know, good things don't happen by just saying, oh, how nice, and you stay in the shade, twiddle your thumb. But God is saying, when we are called to do some great work, Pray, remember who God is, and take appropriate actions. Well, Nehemiah goes on, and chapter 6, he starts building the wall, and the wall is halfway up, and they got everything up, and the doors are not there, and this is the second opposition. They came, and this is sneaky. So Sambalot and Tobiah say, hey, Nehemiah, hey, let's hang out. We're going to go to a town of Ono. You want to go with me? And Nehemiah knows they were scheming to harm me. So Nehemiah is building the wall, and what are they doing? Take a break. Let's go hang out. And their intention was ambush. So how does this relate? Verse 3, Nehemiah responds with this awesome phrase that I want us to remember. In chapter 6, verse 3, he says to them, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? In other words, did you hear what Nehemiah did? When people said, you don't need to do that, come on, let's go, with the intent to kill him, Nehemiah's response is this, what I am trying to do right now, it's a great project. I cannot go down. What I am doing right now is a great project. I cannot come down. And I think when we're trying to serve God, and we get distracted, when we're trying to live life that honors God, I think we need to have that in our arsenal of vocabulary. Here's how it sounds like when you're a parent and you got kids and you got a wife or you got a husband, when you're a husband or a wife, when you're working and things that you know are not important at all pull you aside, you can say to it, I am doing a great thing. I cannot come down. See, the things that distract us and oppose us are the things that are not important that pull us away. I was thinking about just practically like as a dad, so I'm speaking. Dads, you know, your children need you. Amen? I mean, your children need a father there, not just to be there for the game, but your children need a father who loves the Lord And who is growing in the Lord. Who is modeling faith. Who is teaching and living scripture. Who is saying, this is a great thing. And when people say, come on, man. You're always with your family. Let's do A, B, C, D. I am doing a great thing. And I cannot come down. Isn't that awesome? Elders and deacons of the church. We're not just running committees. We're not just having a list to call. We've been called to do something God has invited you to do. And when we turn and give this opportunity to God, you know what we say when life gets busy? we got to prioritize and say, I am doing a great thing, and I cannot come down. See, I think that's a great weapon that we need to say in 21st century where we're so busy. Do you need to say yes to every opportunity? church? Do you need to say yes to everything that gets thrown your way? Do your children really need 50 activities after church? Does our world give you time to read and to spend time with the Lord? No. So we need to say, I am doing a great thing, and I cannot come down when it comes to walking with God. So what I find today, by the way, a lot of pastors are telling me this. Church members are so busy, we don't have time to read the Bible. We don't have time to have Bible study. We don't have time to just have prayer over us and to reflect. And we don't have time to serve others because we're so busy with our lives. I can't do it. You know what? My lawn is it's just giving me a headache. I can't serve anybody this year. And so the church... It's just a building now, and it's people gathering. to. And God is saying to you, can you look eternally and recognize what I've called you into? And would you recognize I am doing a great thing, and I cannot come down? I'm learning the, the most. You taught me this. In the six years that I was at this church, I've really started learning how to prioritize my life. What do I need to be doing? What can wait? What does not need my attention at all? And I realized, boy, this is hard. Isn't it hard, prioritizing? And we need to seek the Lord and say, God, what are you calling me to do? And say to the rest of them, I am doing a great thing. You know what God's great thing is? And I said it last week. God's great thing for this church, it's super clear. It is so easy. It is the great commission through the great commandment. That's our great big thing for the church. Our job is not to just pay the bills. Our job is not to make sure this building is okay, although that's part of it. The big thing for all of these things is is my name being made known in the world? Are we making disciples of Jesus Christ and are we loving our neighbors as much as we love ourselves because of our love for God? Anything else other than that, we need to say I am doing a great thing and I cannot come down. So Lastly, Nehemiah gets a third attack, and and this is a little bit more more fun. They accuse him of this. Nehemiah, we know why you're building the wall. Do you know what Sanballat said? You're building the wall so you can make a king of Judah, and you're going to make your own nation. You're turning your back on your king. Did you guys ever have a lie told about you at work? Did you guys ever have gossips at school? Did you hear what Jason did? If you never had, I want you to be a pastor because you hear every story about, so sometimes I get a phone call. I'm like, Pastor Jason, why did you do this? Are you planning on changing our name to the Butterfly Church? I don't know, to something. What? What are you talking about? And I'm like, wow, I've never had, I wasn't that important in high school where people said, you know, spoke on my behalf. And I realized, whoa, that's interesting. (laughs) Are you trying to get rid of our choir? Are you, are, you trying to make, are you trying to make this into like a, like a Korean church? You know, are you, are you trying to make us into... We have all these rumors. Maybe you've been attacked at work. I heard about so-and-so. She's trying to get so-and-so fired. Why are you trying to get so-and-so fired? What? You know, there's rumors of the wazoo and Nehemiah's recent attack is, why are you trying to make your own king? And Nehemiah says, preposterous. You're, and he, I love what he says. You're making that up in your own head. <laughs> and I love how he goes to the people, by the way. Isn't that a good practical thing? Don't go to people. Go straight to the source and say, why are you making this up in your own head? <laughs> and then some, it doesn't add much, but I think we could gather from this. What was Nehemiah's occupation? Pop trivia. In chapter 1, he was the... The what? Oh, I thought I heard it. Oh, before in chapter 1, he was the what to the king? He was the cupbearer. How many of you want a cupbearer who doesn't like you? You know what a cupbearer is? They test the food for poison. That's their job. So they have to be really trusted. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He was very trusted. And so what I'm tying together is when you're being accused, you know when your vindication lies? This is where your character and how you live now affects the accusations of tomorrow. We need to start living with integrity and fight for truth now. And I think when this happened, people said, that's Nehemiah. We know his heart. We know he's a man who's of good repute. So when gossip rumors start about us, we need to be able to stand truth, cling to the truth, promote the truth, and live it out with integrity. So Nehemiah fights all these three things, and guess how many days it took to build this wall of Jerusalem? Close. It's like the jar, the jar, PS jar. How many days did it take to build the wall? 135? 134? Yeah, I heard it. Yeah. 52 days under this kind of assault, the walls of Jerusalem were finalized so in other words i think what the bible is trying to tell us is actually partly nehemiah but it's all god amen see god is doing something moving something he's rebuilding it and here's where the part two of it and we're gonna kind of land this plane in five minutes but the part two of this is this why was the wall built was it that wall in mexico that youth group kids built in the middle of a soccer field the wall served symbolically to say God is coming back and restoring the people of Israel and God is coming back and he's going to restore the world. See, when they came back, today's text was this. He, Ezra came out. Ezra, come on out. The wall's done. Come on out and read the wall. By the way, he read the law and everybody was standing when he was reading it. Guess how long he was reading it for? Don't you ever complain, my sermons are long. He read it five Hours and the people were standing in the sun listening to the word simply being read, and they were what? They were listening and crying because it's been too long since they heard the words of God in their own language. And it's been so long, they didn't even know their own language. So the Levites were translating to them what the word of God meant. And they were saying, the word of God is good. And they were weeping. Did you ever have something so good it made you cry? Did you ever see one of those reunion shows, Long Lost Mother and Father? I see all the time in Korea, North Korea, South Korea, siblings separated for 50 years, reunited. Man, if you want to cry, Google that. Woof! And they're seeing the glimpse of who they are and who God is. They're hearing His Word. And the Bible is not just a boring book in your pews, but it is God's communicating message to this world. Are you reading the Bible? Have you had that hunger for the Word of God? Do you feel God is far? I think God is saying, Come back to the Word. Come back to the Word. And they were sitting and standing and they were translated and the word of God and the wall was built. And the first thing they do when the wall is built is they don't have a decoration day. They come centered around the wall in the middle and they read the word of God. You know what this church's authority, you know why the Reformation happened? There was a time when the church, the Catholic church said, the pastor, we are the powerful people. You listen to us. We should bring that back. Can I? And make a motion? No. So the people said, "What? And the Pope and the, and the leadership, the king, the church dominated the people, said, "You cannot have your own Bible." And we'll preach it, but it won't be in your language, but you've got to trust what we say. And the, the Reformation said, "You know what our authority is? It's not you. Our authority is sola scriptura, which means only scripture. Our authority comes not from the session, but it comes from the Word of God and the living Word of God, Jesus Christ. And how does a church find strength when we don't know the Word? That's the problem in the 21st century Christian America. We have access to all the information, but we turn away from the very core, the Word of God given to us, that people in Ezra's time were weeping over. I want us to see our Bibles ruffled, written over, seeking God's heart. Amen? Amen. Guys, that's, that's got to be a heart. So we don't rely on a pastor. We don't rely on a typical Bible study. We rely straightly and say, God, speak to us. We stand with you. And so the story, in a nutshell, that we've been going through, Randy Frazee, is this. It's a nutshell. One minute, the whole Bible in one minute. Here it is. God is a triune God, and he wants to be in community with you and I, me. Two. Yet, we're sinful beings, we violated God, we rejected him, and to the core of our DNA, we've been separated, and we're living in destructive sin. Three, the rest of the Bible, it's God's way of trying to bring you and I back through Jesus Christ. And this is so cool. When the king sent Israel back to go build their Israel up, what was the first thing they built? And we're almost there. What was the first thing when the kings of Persia said, go back and build your... What was the first thing they built? Temple? To something... Huh? The first thing they built was the altar. What? What a killjoy. What do you do with an altar? Why the altar? Why was the altar the first thing built? What do you do on the altar? What you do on the altar is you recognize, God, we are sinful people. And we've run away from you. And we want to atone for our sins. Will you show mercy and will you bring us back to you? In Ezra chapter 3, the first thing they built was an altar. It wasn't a church. It wasn't a temple. It was an altar to say, we are sinful people. And the story of the Bible is this. We are sinful people, selfish to the core. Yet, there is a God who is bringing us back through his merciful ways, through blood substitution, and he's rebuilding the whole world. He's rebuilding your life. And Ezra and Nehemiah is showing us that one day we will be fully welcome on the great altar of the cross of Jesus Christ, and you and I will be made in union with God. This is the beautiful story of God. It is so much more than religion that God is trying to say, I want to dwell with you, Jason. I want to dwell with you, church. And Jesus Christ is the altar that has made it possible. So this is a fascinating story. In First Timothy 2.5, it says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus like Esther, who played the role of a sacrificing person, Jesus Christ sacrifice. And as God is giving us Israel, he's given us the great substitution. This makes me want to worship God. And we see Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther as the story that says, God is bringing you back to him. What a wonderful news. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this incredible story. We've had the Bible for so long, but some of us maybe, we just never look deep enough to see what you're trying to do. God, thank you that you never gave up on us and you keep reaching out to us to dwell with the midst of your people. We thank you for Jesus who was a substitution on that great altar once and for all. So that we could deal with the sinfulness that lies in all of our hearts. And we could recognize you're a God who has shown mercy. Lord, as Israel is rebuilt, we ask that you will rebuild the churches today all across this country and the world. That you will build up the lives of people who may have strayed away from you. That you would bring them back through that same mediator. We pray for those who have rejected you and we pray that we could be a church that has a compassion and love and is willing to be spit on for the sake of them coming back and to know that you're a God who is after them. We pray, God, that in this church your word would stand on its own and that you would be the authority through your word. Thank you, Jesus, for this incredible news. Thank you for all that you've done. And we pray these things In the wonderful name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.